It's the Stinkin' Truth Podcast with Mark Schlereth. Presented by Sweet Sweat. Hey, welcome to the Stinkin' Truth Podcast. I am your host, Mark Schlereth. My co-host, Mike Evans, out today. We've got uh, Millennial Ben helping on the board right now. Scott the Hub producing the show. want to thank you so much for tuning in. Got a special show for you today um, because we're going to we're gonna check in and hook up with uh, longtime legendary NFL coach Mike Shanahan, who's going to be inducted into the Broncos Ring of Fame. Also, we're going to surprise him while we do this um, with his son Kyle Shanahan, the head coach of the San Francisco 49ers, jumping in to congratulate his father. So this is going to be a really cool podcast. But first, before we do any of that, I want to thank our uh, presenting sponsors, the great folks over at Sweet Sweat at SweetSweat.com. Check them out on all their social media feeds. They have done such a great job, especially during this quarantine, of not only providing you know supplements and all the things that they provide, but also all the workout gear, the bands, all those things, so that you can maintain your physical fitness level at home without having to go to the gym while the gyms are closed with all the social distancing stuff during this time, this pandemic. Uh, i got to thank the, the great folks over at Sweet Sweat for really helping me out and helping thousands of other people out during this pandemic. So thank you to Sweet Sweat, our presenting sponsor. You know, one of the first things I wanted to talk about a, a little bit of is is culture. And, um, you know, it's, it's amazing. The report from the Washington Post that was released um, about the – about the Washington Redskins. And, you know, I, 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 I kid, but what a tight ship Daniel Snyder runs, right? I mean, it's it's a bit like uh, the Titanic, uh, that tight of ship. But um, it's unbelievable to me that in 2020 we can have this kind of systemic just sexism harassment going on in a National Football League organization. And, and to me, that starts from the top. Culture starts from the top. I always talk just about establishing a culture and living that culture on a day-to-day basis, the importance of what you are doing from a cultural standpoint within any organization and how you run your organization. But I always think about it from the standpoint of landscaping. And when you irrigate, you know, your, your property, when you irrigate your lawn, like water has the tendency to follow the path of least resistant. That's where it's going to go. And culture is very much the same. So if you have a path of least resistance, if you're not working on your culture every day, if you're not holding people accountable on a day-to-day basis, then culture erodes. And if you're not working on that every single day and you're not establishing that, I came from the Washington Redskins. That's where I cut my teeth in the National Football League. And I'll never forget the very first meeting that I was part of the Washington Redskins. So I show up, I get drafted, we're staying at uh, the Dulles Marriott, and we're going to have a meeting there the next morning. So that night, I mean, I am nervous. It's going to be my first NFL meeting, right, as a member of the Washington Redskins, a 10th-round draft choice. And I show up, I mean, the meeting's at 7, you know, I'm up at 5 a.m. because I'm nervous, I can't sleep, I want to make sure I'm prepared, I got a notebook, I got a pen, I got a backup pen, I got a backup pen to the backup pen. Like, I am going to be so prepared, I sit in the front row, making sure that the coaching staff is going to get to see me, I'm going to take copious notes, like, there's no way that anybody's ever going to bounce me out of the league for being unprepared. Like, that's how I approached it. And I, I kid you not, this... 80 guys in this room or 90 guys in this room and it goes silent as Joe Gibbs walks up to the front of the room and Joe Gibbs 
walks up, and you know he he stands in front of the podium. So I've got my notebook out, and I've got in there, you know, Washington Redskins, nineteen eighty nine, first team meeting. You know, I've got I'm ready. And so Joe Gibbs stands up in front of this group, and I'm expecting this kind of fire and brimstone football 101. We're going to kick ass and take names. And that's kind of my expectation of what's going to happen during the course of of this meeting. And Joe Gibbs stands in front of that room, and he says, hey, gentlemen, welcome to the 89 season. And so, you know, I put my pen on my tongue, you know, and go, okay, welcome to the 89 season. I write it down, right? Copious notes. And he goes, hey, today I'd like to give you three priorities for your life. So I write down, you know, three priorities for life. And he goes, number one, your priority with your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He goes, number two, your family, making sure you're connected and you're, and, and you're in relationship with your family. And number three, being the fo- best football player you can be. Those are your three priorities for your life that should take precedent in your life. And he goes, let me just tell you, if the first priorities, the first two priorities are not in in the proper context, if they're not the the top two priorities in your life, excuse me, um, you can never be the best football player you can be. And then he said, break it up with your individual coaches. That was the whole meeting. I mean, you want to talk about a culture that was established from the head of that organization that said, this is the way we're going to do things and this is the way we're going to establish. And it wasn't that it wasn't tough and it wasn't that, you know, he wouldn't cut you if he didn't perform and if you made mistakes, like all those things. But there was a culture within that organization that was worked on, that was honed, that was practiced every single day. And to see this happen to a once proud organization, do you think there's any coincidence that that organization has sucked ass since Daniel Snyder has taken over? You think that's a coincidence? Do you think they suck on the football field because that organization has sucked culturally from inside that organization? Of course. Uh, Do you think there's a correlation? Of course there's a correlation. If you stink as a football team, you probably stink the culture that you've established within the organization. To go from that proud organization that Joe Gibbs, you know, established to seeing what it is today with 15 different women coming out and saying they've been sexually harassed with the employees and some of the people in high position within that organization. I mean, give me a break. I don't know that Daniel Snyder, I know he hasn't been um, implemented or or he hasn't been um, accused of sexual harassment. Neither has um you know, the, the former president of the organization as well. Um, but the bottom line, the bottom line is, man, if that's going on within your organization um, and you don't do anything about it and you've known that those things are happening, then you're complicit in a, in a systemic, just toxic cesspool that you haven't cleaned up. Shame on you. Shame on you for letting it happen within your organization. And I don't know that he'll be forced to sell the team. Probably not. But certainly, um, certainly this definitely, not that he had a great reputation, but this tarnishes it even further. And it's it's disgusting. So hopefully they clean that situation up. Um, 
you know, hopefully the NFL steps in and, and finds them heavily and finds the ownership of that organization heavily, and and we'll see what happens in the future. Um, really excited. I don't know what's going to happen with, with football in general. I know the Players Association the League is negotiating right now, um, you know, from a player safety standpoint and, and everything else. It's funny. I read this, you know, there's been several different proposals about putting 35% of the player's salary um kind of accruing 35% and holding it off or now there's a 40% reduction I think in or a $40 million reduction for each team and salary cap and you know the owners want to the way I read it the owners want to essentially take the big hit in 2020 and 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 here's what I don't understand so you, the owners want I mean we know that there's not going to be gate we know that there's not going to be like there's not going to be revenue from gate and all those things, right? You're, you're probably not going to pack fans into the stands. But here's what I don't understand. We ask our players to take all the risk, right? The risk from injury, the risk from COVID, the risk from, you know, like, hey, guys, you're out there playing every day. You're going to take all the risk. Oh, by the way, we want you to share in the loss of revenue. We, we, we want you to take that risk as well. Like that's that's the thing that I don't know what this negotiation is going to do, but we're going to ask you to take all the risk from a playing standpoint, and we want you to share the risk from a financial standpoint as well. I don't know what they're going to come, what kind of agreement they're going to come to, but um, I, I don't know that it just it just feels smarmy to me. And it's just the way it feels, I, and we'll see exactly what happens. I'm excited about that. But joining me right now, um, good friend, been a great mentor. Um, just one of the great coaches in NFL history. Someday, soon, should be all of Famer, but right now being inducted into the Broncos' ring of fame. Uh, Mike Shanahan joining the program right now. Mike, congratulations, man. So good to have you, buddy. Thanks, Mark. How you been? We're doing, we're doing great, man. It is so – I mean, obviously, for those of us who played for you and I think for most of the people here in, in Colorado – to hear you being inducted into the Ring of Fame is special for all of us, for all the great years and the championships that you were such a huge part of, Mike. What was it like for you to get that announcement? You know, it'd be fun. It's really funny because when I did get the call, what I was able to do, you just go back and you go through all your years as an assistant coach or a coordinator, then you go through your years as a head coach, and the friendships that you make with players, uh, coaches, and that kind of what really makes up who you are. And to be able to go, you know, to be inducted in the ring and go through those memories, it was something that was really special for me over the last, you know, number of days. What was it like? Um, I know your first time here, your first stint with the Broncos, uh, Pat Bowen hired you in 84 to be, I think, the, the quarterback's coach or the offensive coordinator. Uh, what was that relationship like? And, and what did, you know, Pat Bowen mean to you in your coaching career? Mark, when I first came in uh, in 84, you know, I came from the University of Florida. And when I came in, uh, the first thing that was announced, we've got a new owner. So Dan Ray says, hey, before you bring in your family, even though I was hired by the Denver Broncos, he says, just hold it, because I'm not sure if I got a job yet, yet the assistant coaches. So we waited for about two weeks to, to be announced if, we, if he was going to keep the coaching staff. And Pat obviously did. And from that time on, uh, in 84, uh, even as an assistant coach, uh, you, I got a chance to know Pat because you know he would come in every day, you know, between right around that four o'clock uh, time frame, and he would get his uh, 
he'd get his run in or he'd get his uh, bike in. But he would, you know, he would work out, and he got to be around the players, and players really got to know him and really liked him. And so he was a guy that, as an owner, was a little bit unusual because he really wanted to show players that how into he was into the activities of being the Iron Man and wanted to get to know the players. So it was really a special relationship right from the start for me. You uh, go to San Francisco as a coordinator. You win a championship there. You get hired back here in 1995 to lead the Broncos. What was what was that like? Uh, the challenge of of coming in here after you know Dan Reeves and Wade Phillips and and coming in here and taking over this program and and building it to a championship level. Well, the fun part about it is that even here as an assistant coach, as a coordinator. You know, you go to like three Super Bowls and assistant coach, and you go to the AFC championship game, and you wind up being short. You know, we had some lofty goals and expectations, but we had some great memories, but we just couldn't get over the hump. And so to come back here and uh, actually uh, be able to finally get over the hump it was pretty special. Yeah, it is, and and now your name will be up there in in lights with uh, the likes of guys you coach like John Elway and Gary Zimmerman and Shannon Sharp and Tommy Nalen and Jason Elam. I mean, what is what is that like? Is that sunk in a little bit? Or uh, I know the the ceremony won't be for a year yet, but has it sunk in some of the names that you're going up there and that you'll be up there with for the uh, for the uh, rest of uh, rest of time? Well, you know, that's why you're in because of those type of players and those, you know, the coaches that you're with as well and people that, uh, you know, are part of the team because it takes everybody. And everybody knows the great players like you just mentioned because you don't have those. You know, you don't win championships. People like yourself. I mean, that's how you win. And guys that are kind of like the unsung heroes that uh, they're going to do everything they possibly can to make it work. and. To go through all the adversity that we had through all those years and finally get over the hump was something that was pretty special. What was uh, what was going back the the Super Bowl thirty two your your memories of that game and bringing the first championship here to Denver? Well, I just know that we just got <clears throat> kind of beat beat up pretty good the year before by Jacksonville, you know, an expansion team. Then finally to go through that ninety seven playoff run, and then you know finally get over the Jaguars, the Chiefs, the Steelers, and finally, you know, have the big game against the Packers. And that was, you know, that was a tight game, and we and we kind of did it the hard way. So I was, you know, pretty proud of our football team because there were really no easy games except for maybe Jacksonville the first time because we were so embarrassed from the year before. We got them pretty good, but everybody else, we had earned everything we got. And <clears throat> it just showed you a lot about our character of the football team. I always tell stories about that particular game, game planning that week, and, you know, people saying, oh, you guys have no chance. We had lost a game in December. We just got blown out in December in Green Bay the year before. And, you know, we played with half of our starters because everybody was hurt, for crying out loud. And just the confidence we had as a football team, the confidence you had and, and you showed us as a coach, I think that's really, to me, what, what, what put us over the top. And when you would show us in, in film, like every time they get into this, every time we get into a slot formation, we bring Eddie Mack over to the weak side, we get in the slot, you know, they exchange between the outside linebacker and the safety, and you showed it to us like a hundred times. Like, this is what they do, and we're going to gut them. And I, I just remember running the first play. I think we ran 18 handoff. It was maybe the second play of the game, and TD goes for about seven, eight yards, and we're like, uh-oh, we got him. He's right. Like, that, was, that to me is the confidence that you gave a football team that was so cool. 
Well, we had so many great guys. I mean, great not only great players, but great character people on both sides of the ball. You felt like you had a chance going in. When you, take, when you took a look at how physical you were, and even though it was a really an excellent football team, they were the top defense in the league, but we got after them physically, and I was really so proud of our football team after that game on how hard they play and how consistent they played. And anytime you have a five day with four rushing TDs in that game and you kind of like dominate the line of scrimmage, that means we wanted it a little bit more than they did. Mike, we have somebody that wants to uh, call in here and say congratulations to you. So, uh, hey, just tell your dad what it means for you. I mean, I remember, like, you're the last guy to ever hold the cord in the Super Bowl because then we went cordless, for crying out loud. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's been absolutely amazing. So, what it means for you to have your dad inducted in the Ring of Fame here in Denver, Colorado. Hey, Dad, I know I've told you this personally before, but um, Stink wanted to make sure I got up here in California at 5.30 in the morning to <laughs> get on and tell you on air, but... Um, <laughs> Dad, you know how what I've said, how long overdue it is. You know how long I've been waiting to see this. and I'm just so happy it finally happened. And, um, you know, I don't ever want to go in that stadium again without seeing your name up where it belongs. And I'm just so happy the next time I can go. I'm not going to go this year because we don't play there. But I know two years from now when I go, it will be up there. And it's something I've been personally waiting for a long time to see. And um, I know how happy it makes you, but it's long overdue. And growing up in Denver, just going back and forth, I mean, that's – I mean, I've really never lived anywhere in my life longer than four years. But um, I moved back to Denver three different times. I moved there at the end of my freshman year in high school, the final time. And that's when my dad was the head coach there for 15 years. But um, I left after three and a half years to go to college. But Denver has always been my home, and I've always come back to there. And those 15 years in particular, just my three and a half years in high school and coming there. And, you know, we came from the 49ers and – I remember going to all three of those Super Bowls with the Broncos when I was little, you know, just getting killed by the Niners, <laughs> getting killed by um, the Giants, the Redskins. And I just remember it was like 13 years where the AFC never won. And I remember coming back to Denver as a freshman in high school. And I think they went like, I want to say eight and eight their first year. I remember next year they went 13 and three and then they lost to Jacksonville in the playoff round. And then I think they went 11 and five my senior year and going into high school, it was, I mean, going into my senior year, I remember going on the road with my dad to um, Kansas City for that playoff game, which that to me was whoever won that game was going to win the Super Bowl because I thought the Chiefs were um, the best team with their defense and everything that year. And then to go to Pittsburgh and win. And I remember once they got to the Super Bowl, I, you know, me as a senior in high school, I kind of had already celebrated because I didn't think it was possible for the AFC to win because they, they hadn't won in 13 years, and they just always seemed to get killed. You know, the Bills going those four years in a row, and uh, it was just kind of out of question for me at that age. And I remember being um, in my dad's hotel room um, on Super Bowl Sunday, and we were watching White Man Can't Jump, me and my buddy. And my dad kept coming in and hanging out with us. And I'm like, I'm like don't you need to go, like, get ready? <laughs> like, what are you doing? And he was just so chill and calm, and he's like, Oh no, we're good. Like uh, we're still ready, and uh, we're gonna win this game. And that was like the first time I was like, "Oh, I'm gosh, I should kind of get into. It. We really have a chance." And like, because I just I didn't. They just didn't win. It was unquestioned at that time. And then to go to that game and just to watch the way it was, and um, with all our light O linemen, um, they all s- smelled <laughs> a little bit, but yeah. they were. You know, I think they averaged about 288 pounds, and they went against the heaviest 
D-line and the NFL. I think they were like 330, and it was the number one defense, and you guys just dominated them. And it was just, I mean, I always said for so long, that was one of my favorite days of my life because it just blew my mind. And I know how much it changed for me, and um, I just remember how proud of my dad I was. Like, I couldn't believe that they did it. And to watch it the next year and just the consistency of it all, even when they didn't have good teams. They were in every single game, and just the way their offense looked was different than other people's. It was always efficient. It was always there was always a plan, and I didn't always know why. And you could say I was biased because I was my dad's son, but it looked different to me. And when I got into the league and actually learned more football, it was different. It wasn't just I wasn't biased, and it was so fun to go work for other teams. And you know, for me to be in Tampa Bay and to be a part of their team and to be studying my dad's offense from away it was just amazing that all this gut feelings you had growing up to actually become a a professional out of yourself and to see it personally it was like oh my god this is true it was that good and I just feel so fortunate that I got such a head start in my career before I even knew it and that's what's made me who I am today also wow I don't know what to say, Mike. Yeah. Other than, man, I mean, I, I'm, I'm about ready to tear up. No and wonder I, you, you know, guys. And I, and I don't really even like Kyle. <laughs> well, listen, what a treat this is for us, you guys. Um, let me just say that, Mike, uh, you changed my life, and um, I appreciate the opportunity to play for you because if it not for you, uh, my career would have ended, um, you know, after five or six years. So thank you so much for believing in me. Kyle, you have been um, – You've been amazing, and not only watching you grow up, but you've been amazing to me in my broadcasting career, especially the last couple of years calling games. And um, what a treat it's been to get to know you as not only a kid, but more importantly now as one of the best coaches that I've watched um, over the last few years. So congratulations to both of you. I love you both, man. You guys are the best, and um, and continued success. And, Mike, we'll get together here when uh, things uh, calm down so you can keep teaching me some football. Looking forward to it, Mark. Thank you so much. Love you, buddy. Love you too, man. Always great to catch up with a, a friend and a mentor and um, and fun to talk to Kyle Shanahan and fun to see the success he's had as the head coach of the San Francisco 49ers. Nothing but great things are going to happen with that franchise, continue to happen with that franchise. So really great to catch up. Hey, listen, for everybody involved in the Stink of Truth podcast, thank you so much for listening. Uh, thank you so much for sharing the podcast. We really appreciate you guys. Mike will be back next week so that we can uh, continue to do this thing. So appreciate you. Thank you so much. Thanks to our corporate sponsor, our presenting sponsor, great folks over at Sweet Sweat. Find out more at SweetSweat.com.